I'm so excited about this series that we're beginning today on the family and, and what God can do. I know this. I know it to be true, and we're going to hear it today and begin it today, that if we, as God's people, will follow God's instruction and do family the way he wants us to do it, it always works out best for us. Amen? It always does. And so don't let uh, Sunday morning sermons or, or uh, the messages be the only thing you invest in during this series. I want to encourage you, each and every one of you, go home, look at the scriptures that we give out, read more on it, study it all throughout the week, and, and implement what we learn or what we're reminded of. That's the only way this is really going to impact us and change our families and change the marriages and change the way we view raising kids and different things like that. So I encourage you to do that. But I know this. All of us have crazy families. I had a great aunt who would always send the kids something for Christmas. And, and, and honestly, we would buy uh, some expensive things as we could or whatever, what the kids wanted. Uh, but I think, I really think they looked more forward to opening the gifts from this crazy great aunt than they did anything we got them. Uh, it was no telling what she'd send. One year, uh, you know those uh, package of zingers? They come in packages to, to a package. Uh, one year, they, they opened up a, a gift from her, and, and it was a package of zingers. The problem was, there was only one in there. <laughs> Evidently, she had bought a package, ate one, didn't like them, folded it over, wrapped it, and put scotch tape on it, and shipped it to the kids for Christmas. Now, not about you, but a, an old, dried-out zinger is not something I want for Christmas. How about you? I mean, and she, we would laugh. We would have a good time laughing because uh, usually what she would send is she loved to order magazines. And when you order a new magazine, what do they send you? Some, well, more magazines. Thank you, James. But they'll, they'll send you a little gift, right, for ordering their magazine. They'll send you something that you don't need, that you can never use. And that's what my kids would get from her for Christmas. So it's whatever magazine she ordered from that little gift, that little trinket. And, and we always used to have a good time uh, laughing about that amongst ourselves. We never in front of her, right? Crazy families. You know, the older I get, the more I realize how crazy families can be. We either have a crazy aunt or uncle. Amen? Come on, raise your hand. You got a crazy... <laughs> maybe, maybe grandma's just absolutely nuts. Okay? Grandpa's just weird. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's just out there. Maybe it's mom and dad who are making the family crazy. And then you add the kids and all the stages that they go through in life. And our families can just be absolutely nuts. It is just what it is. And, and I don't want you to, to, to think you're alone today. Uh, you may be sitting there thinking, my family is unique. No, it's not. We're all crazy. Okay, that person in front of you that you think has the perfect family doesn't. I promise you that. Uh, there's something crazy in their life too. We all have some craziness in our families. And, and just for the record, if you're sitting there thinking, you know, grandma's not really crazy and grandpa's not. And, you know, that uncle, I don't have that weird uncle or aunt. You're probably the crazy one in your family, okay? I'm just saying. If you're having a hard time figuring it out, there you go. Today, again, I'm going to begin this, begin this series because, folks, I believe this. We desperately need biblical families today. We need biblical parents today. Desperately need that in these crazy families. So I believe we can reduce the craziness in our families some 
If we will begin to follow God's instructions, live by his instructions, his statutes, his laws, his judgments, if we will add that to our families more and more and more, the craziness will leave a little bit. I'm not saying it'll be totally gone with, but it'll go some. Several years ago, it was promoted in the White House that it takes a village to raise a kid. And while that sounds like it makes sense, it goes against biblical values on every level. Evidence indicates a serious decline in the traditional biblical values on the home. Now, I know that doesn't surprise any of you here, and let me just say this right here, right now. None of us are perfect. None of us have lived a perfect life. Wherever you are, whatever mistakes you have made, whatever sin you have committed against God, there's ne- it's never too late to repent and say, okay, God, today I'm going to start living this kind of life for you. Today I'm going to start being that biblical parent. I'm going to start being that biblical spouse, that, that, that child, that teenager, whoever God wants for us. Today I'm going to do that. So, so don't take it as, gosh, I've messed up too much. I could never have this? Yes, you can. Wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, you can. But traditional biblical family model is not the norm today. God designed the home for a a loving, dedicated mom and dad to raise the kids in. The problem is the divorce rate has been soaring for years. And you know as well as I do, uh, people will get divorced today just like they'll go to the fins and buy a bag of chips. There's there's really no commitment to marriage anymore, hardly. I mean, it's a covenant you make with with each other and before God. And and we break that covenant society-wise. We break it like it's nothing anymore. Many homes are made up of of single parents struggling to make ends meet. Same-sex couples are breaking biblical tradition, raising kids in an unbiblical environment. Unmarried couples are raising their kids in an unbiblical environment. Marriages that that do represent what the Bible teaches are not loving God and, and teaching God's word in that home, so it's representing an unbiblical model. The family has gone crazy, and a lot of the reason is we've chosen to break God's model for the family, and we've chosen to do it our own way. Well, guess what? That brings all this craziness into our life. Now, understand that we are no different than the people who have come before us. This is not new. This is not something that society's never seen before. If we choose to live worldly lives, to pursue worldly things, to be involved in worldly activities, and not to love God first, God's blessing will be removed from our homes, and his judgment will come upon it. That is nothing new. If we do not repent and change, then we will be no different than those we read about. If you've heard sermons, or maybe in your own personal reading of the Word of God, you read where God's people... They would love God, and they they would pursue God, and they'd follow his laws and his statutes and his commandments, and God would bless them. He blessed them individually. He blessed them, uh, the family unit. He blessed them as a nation. But as soon as God's people chose to live selfish lives to pursue worldly things over him, as soon as they chose to be what they wanted to be instead of who he wanted them to be, his judgment always came onto them. And I don't know about you, but I'll read about them in the Bible, or I'll hear about a society, and I'll think they could have avoided all that heartache, all the problems, all the destruction that happened to them and their families and their kids and their communities and even their nation. They could have avoided all of that if they just would have turned back to God. And I think, why didn't they do that? 
Why won't we? Why won't we? One of the main reasons I believe is because we don't really think we're that bad. We don't really think we're that bad. We don't really believe that we're that bad, so therefore, surely God's not going to judge us. We don't really believe that a sinful lifestyle is as bad as it could be, so therefore, God's judgment won't be that harsh. And I stand here today to tell you folks that we, that we are not above God's judgment. Now, I know what I've already said can offend some, and that is not the intent today. The intent is to realize that God has a standard for the family. God has a standard that he expects us to meet when it comes to marriages, when it comes to raising our kids, when it comes to what our home represents, when it comes to our church represents. God always has a standard. Always. And all of us make bad choices in life, and life gets hard when we do so. And I'm not, again, not trying to beat anyone up today. The reality is, if we're going to take a good look at God's perspective through this series, it's going to challenge many of us, all of us, every aspect of it. And I would hope, and I I want to hear if you want this or not, I would hope you'd want me to speak the truth in, in God's love. Would you want that? So the intent is not to beat anybody up. The the intent is not to point out uh, sinful lifestyles. The intent is for us to let the Holy Spirit do a work in us to show us areas that we need to change. We need to repent. We need to get our knees before God and say, God, I'm sorry. And And I haven't been following you in this area. I haven't been listening to your word in this area. I haven't been letting the Holy Spirit lead us in this area. I need to change. That's the intent of this whole series. See, some good news in all of this, if you consider it good news, is some young people are choosing to not follow their parents' examples. They grew up in homes that were unbiblical. They grew up in homes that touted their rights above what God wants. They grew up in homes that did not represent what the Bible says. Many of them grew up in homes where pleasure and trips and ball games and the lake and sleeping in and the mountains were more important than God. And they don't want that kind of home. Many of them grew up with parents chasing money and working ridiculous hours, which led to not much time to to be a biblical family. And they don't want that. They've watched their parents chase after happiness in unbiblical ways. And some of them are choosing a different lifestyle. So there's some good news in there. But there are others who are modeling what their parents taught them and thinking it's okay. One of the most common things I've heard in the last few months in the situation we're in, you know, in this COVID-19 era we live in, one of the most common things I've heard, folks, is this. I've really enjoyed the time that our family has spent together. I've heard that over and over and over again. I've said it. Man, when you shut everything down and quarantine and have a stay-at-home order at first when we're all in, man, that was good family time. But as we begin to open up and open up and open up some more, what happens? We begin to allow the things that drew us away from being the biblical family, some things that got our attention and that prioritized ourselves above what God wants in our life, they start to creep back in. 
And pretty soon God's second again, and then God's fourth again, and God's ninth again. And we're going to get right back to where we were when we said, man, I really enjoyed this time together. It was a good family time, bonding time. We were more able to be this biblical family and, and, and do the things that God wants us to do. And we're going to allow everything else to creep back in if we're not careful. The family that God created and designed has, as it's one of its primary tasks, the caring for, the nurturing, and the training of children. Now listen, a task that cannot be adequately be fulfilled by any other means. There is a biblical model for this, and to go against it is to remove God's blessing from that home. We cannot choose sin and expect God to bless it. We will reap what we sow. Maybe not today, it may be years, but we will reap what we sow, which we talked about last week. No other calling is more crucial than raising our kids in a godly home. Amen? No other calling even comes close to raising our kids in a godly home, to being that grandparent that that is constantly loving and pouring into and nurturing those grandkids to love God. No other thing comes close. No other calling. What an opportunity, but yet what a responsibility. See, that little human life that God brought into your home is going to continue for eternity. Your hobby is not. That, 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 that human being that God's blessed you with, whether it be your child or a stepchild or an adopted child or, or, or whether you teach kids or whatever it is, that little human being that you're able to invest in will live for eternity. And that boat won't last. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to ask you to stay there. Uh, we're going to refer back to it. But in Deuteronomy... God's people are about to go into the promised land here in chapter 6. And God is having Moses remind them as they enter this promised land, this this land that's unbelievable, this land that has all this stuff that they want that's really good. The Bible calls it flowing with milk and honey, right? As they enter this land, he wants to remind them not to get focused on that, not to lose the the priority in their life. And we get to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and and it's not, I didn't have in the text, but I want to start in verse 1 here. It says, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. God is reminding them in chapter, in verse 1 there, in chapter 6, that as you go into this land, remember this, I have given you statutes, I've given you laws, I've given you commandments. As you enter this land, you are to continue to follow them. Don't forget me in this land. I'm giving you this land. I'm blessing you with this land. Don't forget me in this land. Look at verse 2. That you may fear the Lord your God. That's part of the problem today. We don't really fear God like we should. To keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord... Our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now there's several things I see in this passage. As we look at Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9 and break that down, as we look at it and, and examine what God's instructions for us, I want you to keep this in mind. What does God have for me as a family? What does God expect from me as a, as a, as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a parent? Right? As we look at those scriptures again, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It starts with us. It starts right there. This is nothing new. Jesus quoted this as the greatest of the commandment in the New Testament. It's still right here, too. It's one of the commandments. And he, he looks at, at how we're supposed to do that. So let me start off with this. In this passage, I see some guidelines for biblical parenting because we need some biblical parenting today. And the first one is this, love the Word of God. We need to love the Word of God. To be successful godly parents, we're told we must love the Word of God. Love for God includes love for His Word. Love for the Lord your God includes loving what he has said, loving his commands, loving his statutes, loving what he's instructed us with. See, you cannot love God unless you love his word. Can't happen. You can talk about me all day long or tell me all day long how you love God. Do you love his word? If you don't love his word, you're not truly loving God. How do you know if you love God? You spend time with him. See, a relationship that we want to be in, a relationship that we love, someone that we love, we want to spend time with them. We want to talk with them. We want to converse with them. We want to have this relationship aspect. And God wants us to love him. And, and in loving him, we will spend time in his word. We will know his word. Jesus said this in John 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Well, how do I keep his word? I got to know his word. <laughs> And how do I know his word? I spend time in his word. He says that my father will love him and, he, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's also who sent me. See, the greatest thing you as a parent can give your children is an example of absolutely just loving God. And one of the aspects to, to teaching them to love God is teaching them a love for his word. That it doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. It doesn't just happen on Wednesday night. Those two should be happening, but that's not the only time it happens. A love for his word. Our kids struggle with obedience because we struggle with obedience. We tell our kids, you, you better obey me, right? And as they hear these teachings and, and they're around God's word and they hear that if Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then we promote with our kids, hey, you better be obedient. You know what begins to creep into their mind? Why should I be obedient when you're not? We teach them, but then we don't set the example. And trust me, I know, I know there's not a perfect parent out there. I get that. I'm not. We're not. But our kids know the difference in us failing and where our heart is. Our kids know the difference if we're trying to really love God and love his word or if we're just trying to make them do it. They know the difference. 
Paul wrote to Timothy of the faith that he had, and it came from his grandmother and his mother. He reminds him of this. He tells Timothy, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures and were able to make you wise through salvation, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy had a grandmother and a mother who loved the Word of God, and they passed that love to Timothy. Paul was reminding him that was a great heritage. Now, folks, listen, I cannot tell you how many times I've asked parents, what is your goal for your child when they walk out of your house? Many of you are sitting here today because you came for some advice or for some counsel and raising kids or just whatever it was, and this came up. And I asked you this question. What is your goal for your child when they walk out of your house or your kids? And you know, overall, overwhelmingly, the answer that I get is this. Well, I want them to be a successful, productive part of society. I want them to do well, and I want them to have it better than I have it. Overwhelmingly, however it's worded, that's what I hear. Let me ask you a question. Where in the Word of God does it say that? That as a parent, that's our main responsibility. That's our number one goal. That when our kids walk out of our house, they should be a productive member of society. Where is that in here? Let me help you. It's not. Where is it in here where it says, I want them to do well? It's not. Where is it in here that says, I want them to have it better than I had it? It's not in here. And that's our goal for our kids? That's an unbiblical goal. Now, I know you can go to some verses and say, well, our kids should do well, or I want our kids to be well. I mean, I get that, but I'm talking number one priority here. I don't know. Deuteronomy 6, and verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. I, should, I think that should be the number one goal for our kids when they walk out of our house, don't you? That if, if we set a goal as parents, that when they walk out at 18 or 19 or 27 or 28, whenever it is, right? When they walk out of our house to be on their own, if they have an absolute love for God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength, and they love his word and they're following it, we have done our job. Shouldn't that be the goal? Our text instructs us. And these words which I command you today, look at it, shall be in your heart. Not just your preacher's heart, your pastor's heart. Not just the faith group leader's heart. Shall be in your heart. Hey, mom, hey, dad, listen. In your heart, grandma, grandpa. Even as, a, as someone who's wanting to have kids one day, it should be in your heart. If you can have kids and you're, you're involved with kids somehow, some way, it should be in your heart. Look at it. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That is your greatest responsibility as a parent. And it goes on and it says, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. Biblical family, what God 
wants us to have today and what's needed today is biblical parents that are absolutely teaching their kids to absolutely love God with all their heart, their soul, and their strength and to love God's word. It's your responsibility and it's the greatest responsibility you have. We have as parents. So what do biblical parents do? They teach their kids to love God and to love his word first and foremost. And then I also see in our text... Biblical parents teach the Word of God. Now, I know that frightens some of you because you're not comfortable with this book. I get it. I haven't always been comfortable with it. But it frightens some of you because you don't know it very well, so therefore you don't feel like you're worthy to teach it to your kids. You know what takes care of that? Is is you growing in your knowledge of the Word of God you studying this book, you allowing people in your life to teach you along the way, you allowing people in your life that you can ask questions of that can keep you on track biblically, whether it be a faith group or community group or a discipleship group, right? You're investing in that. You're studying in that so that if you're off track and go, nah, that's not really what the Word of God's saying there. Wisdom, safety, and the multitude of counselors, right? But it is your job to teach your kids diligently, what the Word of God says. There's too many homes where the kids know more about the Bible than the parents do. (laughs) I know it's quiet in here. There's too many homes where the teenagers are more spiritual than the parents. Those are not biblical homes. It's not the way it should be. There's too many parents that drop their kids off and drive off to go to Walmart while their kids are sitting under the teaching of the Word of God. I saw it happen this morning. Preaching to the choir there, because you're here, amen? Get me there, Brother Robbie, okay. (laughs) God's Word reveals the way of salvation, the true security and satisfaction that we should have in life, but each child must be shown. They have to be taught the Word of God Right? As parents, it is not enough to just love and honor God ourselves. Word of God, again, you shall teach them diligently. Look at it. To your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. We must teach our children by our lives and by our lips. You cannot begin to teach your children too soon or repeat your teaching too often. You cannot begin too soon and you can't repeat it too often, even though they don't want to hear it again. Repetition is a great teacher. Teaching them about loving God, honesty, loyalty, morality, and sanctity for human life. Teach them God's instructions, God's word, and God's way. Teach them what it looks like. Teach them what it means. Teach them to love God, how to live for God, and how to serve God. Teach them what a biblical home looks like and how the peace of God resides on a home where God is first, where his priorities are first, where we're loving him as best we can here, and we're following his word in this home. And they will realize and understand as they get older, there's a peace that comes with that. There's blessings that come with that. 
Teach your children that God is the creator, that he loves them, and that he answers prayer. Teach them that wrong is wrong, right is right according to the word of God, and that sin destroys and separates us from God. Teach your kids that that we reap what we sow. Teach them that the wages of sin is death. Teach them that Christ died for their sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and rose again. There's no greater thing than when a mom or dad comes up and says, hey, my child accepted Christ last night at home as one of us led them to Christ. That's awesome. It's the way it should be in the home. Teach them that whatever or whosoever believes in him should not perish. I found some things as we teach. I understand this. As we teach kids, they don't always get it. Can I get an amen on that one? I mean, you know, sometimes it's just crazy what the kids understand. We think we're being clear, and we're not. Or we are being clear, and they're not, which is most of the problem, most of the time. Uh, I read that some things that kids got from the Bible with their teaching, right? Uh, one said a Christian should only have one spouse. This is called monotony. <laughs> I'm glad nobody said amen there. That's good. How about this one? Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. (laughs) hmm. Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc. Because Noah built the ark. Some of y'all. Okay, I'll go on. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. I tell you right now, Solomon would have been better off with 700 porcupines. (laughs) Just throwing that one out there, right? Joshua led the Israelites in the Battle of Jericho. (laughs) Can you get that mental picture? The old people out there, their canes and walkers fighting each other out there in the middle of the field. The Battle of Jericho. How about this one? The greatest miracle in the Bible was when Joshua told his son to stand still and he obeyed him. See, now you got to know the story there, right? Joshua commanded the son, S-U-N, to stand still, and it obeyed him in one of the battles. So the battle will keep going. And I think it's funny, though, that this child thinks the greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stand still, and he actually did it. <laughs> the first commandment was when Eve told Adam, eat that apple. <laughs> it's like, hmm. <laughs> Noah couldn't do much fishing while he was on the ark because he only had... Two worms. <laughs> I, I don't know where this one, maybe y'all can help me. Moses died before he ever reached Canada. <laughs> I guess Canaan. Okay, I get it. See, I get it now. All right. Because I'm thinking promised land. I'm going, that doesn't fit there. So the land of Canaan. All right. I'm slow, but I'm okay. <laughs> As the offering plate was being passed, the four-year-old said, you don't have to pay for me, Dad. I'm under five. Maybe we ought to teach them more about the offering and less about how much we pay at restaurants. I don't know. So when you get scared, God will bring you a quilt. He said the comforter would come. It says the Lord, this one was hilarious. It says the Lord thy God is one. But I think he's a lot older than that, don't you? (laughs) That's literal, isn't it? God's one year old. He's one. Funny. In the mind of kids. It says pretty soon all of the early people died off except for Methuselah who lived to like be a million or something. <laughs> Noah built a large boat, put his family and some animals on it. He asked some people to join him. This is really bad. 
but they said they would have to take a rain check. Mm, didn't cash that one in, did they? Jesus, I don't know if you know this, Jesus had 12 opossums. Do you know that? Opossums? The worst one was Judas Asparagus. <laughs> Judas was so evil they named a terrible vegetable after him. <laughs> the minds of kids. Uh, the epistles were the wives of the apostles. David was a Hebrew king skilled at playing the lyre. He fought with the Ficklesteins, a race of people who lived during biblical times. Samson slayed the Philistines with the axe of the apostles. <laughs> biblical parents will teach their kids to love the word of God and will teach it to them diligently. will keep it in front of them. They'll love the Word of God and they'll teach the Word of God. And then lastly this morning, biblical parents, what we need today, they will keep the Word of God. You know, it's one thing to study it. It's another thing to know it. It's another thing to hear it. It's another thing to teach it to our kids. But it's a whole other level when we ourselves keep it. Our kids are not dumb. They're brain dead at times, but they're not dumb. If we're teaching them God's word and teaching them that God is first, then our actions better back up our teaching. I understand that we fail as parents, but know that the, that the kids know our hearts too and that they will know if we're teaching something we're not living ourselves. Again, look at verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The book of James instructs us, tells us, teaches us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. What happens when your kids learn that verse? And they go, hmm, what about mom and dad? What about grandma and grandpa? So I know this, <laughs> it was easy teaching our kids when they were little. And when they got older and they started understanding and started asking questions and going, yeah, what about you, dad? That was a whole nother level. We are to learn from the examples in the word of God. We are to obey the commands in it. We are to follow the guidelines in it. And in doing so, we not only serve as an example to our kids, but we bring glory the glory of God to our homes. Think about that. Say, I want God's blessing on my home. I want God's blessing on my marriage. I want God's blessing on my relationship with my kids. I want God's blessing. I want to bring him glory in our home. Then follow his instructions. Follow his directions. Follow his commandments. First and foremost. And God will pour that out. As a parent or a grandparent or a parent to be how are you teaching those little ones in your life to love God, to love his word, and to know his word? See, God has said this, right? If we'll hide God's word in our heart, we will not sin against him. But there's only one way to hide it in our heart, and that's to, to study it, to know it, follow it, because we love him and we love his word. So what's the testimony of your home? I don't mean necessarily that you put a sign on your front door. That's fine. But what's the testimony of your home? If someone were to ask your kids, what's first and foremost 
in the lives of your parents. What would your kids say is the most important thing to you, Dad? What would they say? If your kids were asked the question, what does mom love the most? What would be their answer? Well, it depends on the day. (laughs) I get that. None of us are perfect. But overall, overall, would your kids say, my dad's not perfect, but I know that he absolutely loves God. I know that he wants to please God before he pleases any of us. I know that he works to provide for us, but he, he doesn't, he'd rather spend time with us than at work. Would they say that? Would they say mom and dad work to do some things to provide, but they mainly do it to stick me in daycare because they don't want to raise me? Would they say that, that mom absolutely loves God? Or would they say that Mom's more worried about what every other mom thinks about her raising of the kids than how she's actually doing. What's the testimony of your home? And if you really want to know, ask your kids. Ask your kids. Would you stand with me, please? Would you stand and bow your head and just close your eyes? I want have a time as a church family, as individual families, as as maybe you're here today by yourself. I don't know where you are or what's going on in your life, but I do know this. God has a standard for us, and he's given us instructions all the way back in Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Word of God, and Deuteronomy is a reminder of what he had already taught. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, first and foremost, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, there's no way you can be a biblical parent. No way. You can't. You need that relationship with God. If you're here today and you say, Robbie, I hear all this and I want that and I want to do that, but I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life where where I've received Christ as my personal Savior. Would you, every head bowed and every eye closed, would you say, Robbie, that's me. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Say, Robbie, that's me. That's my first step. That's what I've put it off and I haven't taken that step. Anybody anywhere would say, Robbie, that's me. Just lift your hand up real quick. If that's on your heart today, there are people in the back when we open up this prayer time, you can just step back there and get with one of them and they'd be happy to help you understand what the Bible says on that and that you can know today that you know Christ as Savior. But for those of us that we didn't raise our hand because we know him as Savior, how's your family today? How's your marriage today? How's raising your kids today? I know it's hard. I know it's frustrating. I know it can wear you out. I know it can absolutely be the most trying thing, but yet it's the most rewarding thing that we can possibly do. So I'm going to ask you, Faith Baptist Church, as families today, to come down to an altar, get on your face, and and whatever the Holy Spirit's laid on you, whether it's to recommit your family, your marriage, whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to step out and come down to an altar and just get on our face before God because here's the truth folks we're no different than anyone else if we continue down the road we're going if we're living unbiblical lives if we're not honoring God in our homes God's judgment will come if it hasn't already we are no different so father I just come before you today and I know I know your word is true and I believe it to be true and we preach it as truth and we present it but The Holy Spirit is the one that does the work. 
All we can do is, is broadcast that, plant those seeds, and we let the, the Holy Spirit water it. And, and so I pray for the men hearing this this morning, whether here or online, that we would get on our face before you and, 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 and repent of any sin in our lives, of not being who you've called us to be, of not, not loving you first and foremost in our life and loving our wives and loving our kids first and, and teaching them diligently. I pray for every mom, every wife here today, same thing. For the teenagers in here today, I pray that, that they would get on their face before you and realize that, that, that you want to bless them as they seek out who you have for them and, and to be that, grow into that godly man and godly woman you want them to be. So God, I just pray today that you would do a work that only you can do here at this altar, whether it's if people need to sit down where they are and just get with you or come down to the altar, I pray that God's people, that we would humble ourselves today and get on our face before you because the family is so important. So God, do the work that you do today. But we have to humble ourselves in order for you to do that. So help us to do that today. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, listen, I just want you to step out. Dads, lead the way. Husbands, lead the way. Teenagers, come down to an altar today and just say, God, I just, I want to talk to you. I want to spend some time with you. So as those are coming right now, I encourage you to make your way down here also. If you're not able to come down here, just sit down where you are and just talk to God.